The XY Advisor podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. This content is created in partnership with our sponsor, Hub24 Custodial Services, ABN 94073-633-664, AFSL 239-122, part of the Hub24 Group, and is limited to publicly available information. General advice may be provided by our sponsor, but does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Before acting on any general advice, you should consider whether appropriate and obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. XY Advisor does not hold an AFS license and does not provide any financial advice or services or endorse any general advice. If a PDS or IM exists, you should obtain a copy and review it thoroughly before making a decision. Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by Hub24, one of Australia's leading providers of integrated platform, technology, and data solutions to the wealth industry. By working with licensees and advisors, Hub24 is delivering innovative solutions and service excellence that enables you to do business your way, creating efficiencies for your business and value for your clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors have rated Hub24 number one for value for money and best managed portfolio functionality six years running, empowering better financial futures together. Find out more at hub24.com.au. Hello and welcome back to this series on enhancing the client experience. In this episode number three of our five-part series, we hear from Michael Back, client experience enthusiast, business coach, and all-round lover of people. Michael calls his business human to human, but a quick spoiler alert, technology plays a big part in the delivery. By now, you'll be getting the idea that these speakers really know their stuff, and this episode is no different. So grab yourself a double-shot latte or something stronger and sharpen that pencil to take notes as we dive into this episode with Michael Back. Hello, hello, my good friend Michael Back. Welcome. Thank you, Fraser. It's lovely to be here. Now, when we're putting together a podcast series uh, talking about client experience, who else could we get on but you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for agreeing to be part of it, actually. Oh, no, it's my, my absolute pleasure. I, I love talking and I love the client experience. So any opportunity to do both at once is a great opportunity in my book. Absolutely. And of course, you named your business human to human. So we made sure it was all around the human experience. We are talking about relationship businesses with advice firms, uh, not just client experience and in, in technology form. We are talking about humans, although a lot of it, I think what we're going to be talking about today is technology based. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I've always looked at it through the lens of the human connection is. Uh, absolutely the center of what we do. Technology makes it easier for us to scale that and to leverage that and to create more of that. But um, I must admit, Fraser, during COVID, I had some uh, question marks over the hypothesis that I've doubled my business down on, which is face-to-face contact is always the central pillar of what we do. And it, it you know, we need to be face-to-face and digital can only do so much. Um, but yeah, interestingly, I'd say in the last 12 months, I've never been more confident about that. Um, and obviously, technology plays a huge part in creating more of that. But uh, yeah, I think advisors 
potentially have been forced to go to digital uh, in recent history and now it's maybe time to consider um, how to bring that human connection back into what they're doing uh, because they have the option to do so. Do we do we often think about this from a perspective of oh it's digital or it's face to face, and should we be thinking about this? Is it logical, practical information we're trying to provide versus emotional stuff, and maybe just divvy that divvy up the emotional side to be face to face, and the and the logical, practical side to be you know digitally enhanced? Mm, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I think the way that I've been looking at it a lot lately is there's things that people know that they need and things that we know we need to deliver. And technology is often the best way to do those things. Uh, but there's things that we can't predict or we don't quite know how they're going to end up. Uh, and so from that point of view, it, it almost resembles a creative process. Uh, if you think of a discovery meeting, uh, an advisor doesn't actually know what they're going to walk out of that discovery meeting with. And so from that point of view, it is a creative process. And so uh, any creative process is usually best served by creating a space where creativity can be prioritized. And so, yeah, I completely agree with the way you're looking at this is that a lot of the face-to-face -face stuff uh, are for things that need to be created or clarified or uh, where you need to take someone's brain to somewhere that it doesn't usually go. Uh, but yeah, things that involve ticking boxes or uh, gathering information or doing things that are quite predictable. Uh, I think advisors need to get more comfortable with outsourcing that to technology. And, you know, the fear in, involved in that is that, well, hold on, what do we talk about in meetings? Well, it is a really good question, but I think it's an important question uh, to be answering to, to create those powerful face-to-face -face experiences. Yeah, there's, there is um, some great technology out there. And, and, and the, while you were just saying, I was thinking about the concept of how how well has that um, that technology been able to grab that emotional factor, that uh, the emotions, and even even as you mentioned when you were just talking, then the emotion of you know security or understanding, you know, somebody's leading you through a process, and you're like, great, they've been through this before, so I feel um, trust, you know, that confidence and trust in them to be able to lead me through the process. Um, so yeah, and anyway, we'll get into a whole lot of stuff. I think I feel like we were going really deep then. Um, <laughs> let's let's dive into the, the concept of user experience and, you know, putting the users at the forefront. And, and obviously there's a lot of information and research and you've been talking about this for a long time. Tell us tell us your thoughts on just the overall importance and, and, and where we should be starting. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think I'm telling people things that they don't inherently understand here, that um, if you consider any experience as a customer or a client. And I think the, one of the most accessible examples that we have is the experience of going to a restaurant or a cafe. Uh, we're paying five if you're having non-dairy milk or extra shots or whatever. You're looking at six bucks for a coffee in Australia these days. And you know, if you look at like the raw components of what we're getting, it's probably not worth six dollars right um, it's but what we're paying for is a lot more than just the product of coffee it's the experience that surrounds it it's that feeling of the barista remembering our name it's the vibe of the cafe and how it makes us feel uh, if we set up our laptop and work from there and we're feeling a little bit more inspired and we're enjoying our workday just that little bit more they're all the things that we're really paying for and so a lot of the time, I think in business, we consider the experience as something that enhances the product or the service. Uh, I actually think that they're completely inseparable and I think it's kind of irrelevant to try and separate them. The, the best starting point for me is that 
there is always a product and a service, but there's always an experience. And we've all been to a restaurant where technically the food is incredible, but the wait staff aren't making eye contact with us um, or they're rushing us through or they read out the specials menu so quick because they just want to get away from the table. And it doesn't matter how good the food is in that experience. We walk away not feeling particularly good. So uh, it is a, a an equation that all businesses need to focus on. And uh, I don't necessarily think one bit is more important than the other. I think it's all super important and all needs to be focused on. Yeah. So if we, if, if we go back a step here and we go like when we talk about business planning, it's very easy to get caught up in this whole, you know, what is the product that we have? You know, what what is the service that we provide? And we get stuck into that product and service rather than thinking about what's going on in the client's head and what, what problem are we actually solving inside their brain? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you know, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of the things I will say on this episode are things that when I started out, uh, in my business and also consulting in other businesses uh, that I would say the complete opposite. So a lot of what I'm saying here is not conventional wisdom. But, you know, the first thing I always used to say is that you know, the client needs to be the center of the business and it, what we put our clients first and you know, every decision we make is with the client in mind. What I've since realized is that the client is so important in every business, of course, but it's impossible to deliver a wonderful client experience if your team aren't happy because people can't be unhappy within a business and all of a sudden then put on a smiley face and go over and above and blow a client's mind and deliver a wow experience or just absolutely commit to driving the right outcome for a client if they're not happy in the business that they're in. And so I actually these days say to many businesses that before you even start thinking about your client experience, uh, Start thinking about your team experience. Start thinking about bringing the right people in and creating an environment where they feel supported and motivated and excited and committed. And then a lot of the time, you don't need to map out the perfect client experience and create a decision tree for every single moment and what a team member should do. Because if you have the right people in the right frame of mind who have the right natural uh, passions and desires to want to do the right thing by the client, the rest will take care of itself. So I think the client experience game is just as much a function of creating the right culture as it is around creating the right client experience. Yeah, really, really good point because obviously uh, every single human in the business is going to be slightly different and uh, going to be able to provide that outcome in a, in a way that um, may not be exactly for the, uh, this is exactly how we provide the service or this is exactly how the product's supposed to look, but uh, it, it's about understanding the client. And I, th- I kind of feel like when you first started, was, we're talking about that, you know, the, the fact that the client is really engaged and the client's really happy is other types of drivers that drive those staff members. But I guess, you know, so for some people that might not be the case. There might be other things and, and within a team and, and to be able to understand the team's really important. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it becomes like the rising tide as well. So if you have A players on your team who are doing a great job for clients and they're put on somewhat of a pedestal and the rest of the team understand, you know, that, that they're connected to these moments and when someone does something good, you share it and applaud them. It, it all of a sudden breeds, you know, in a, a very healthy form of competition where others go, okay, I understand you know, that's that's what it takes to be celebrated around here or to fit in around here. And so when I've got that moment with a client experience where I can take the easy option that's going to frustrate the client or I can put in a little bit more effort but really make their life easier uh, and make the client experience better, they're going to choose the latter over the former all the time because they want to fit in with the culture. So a lot of this is about the right people doing the right thing by the client but also that that compound effect that all those team members have on each other as well. 
do love a good compound interest story. Um, t- tell us a little bit about the uh, if we if we go into the advice practice or into you know how you know you th- how you work with advisors and what you're seeing. Um, I want to start getting a little bit of the how and the more practical here. Obviously, we used to do face to face meetings and then there was online Zoom meetings and we've got a bit of a hybrid. I think it's fair to say people are sort of juggling between those two at the moment. How are you seeing the difference with a user experience or a client experience um, based on those two different uh, methodologies? Mm. Yeah, so I think there's probably a couple of couple of points here. The first is related more to I think what businesses think is a great client experience versus what it actually is. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of businesses out there who are looking at it through a lens that hasn't traditionally been the lens to look at the client experience through, um, and that one is around simplicity. It's this is one of the things I mentioned earlier that. If you'd have spoken to me five or six years ago, I would have said something completely different to what I say today. Because the conventional view of a client experience is you've got to exceed expectations, you know, under promise, over deliver, create memorable moments in the client experience, create wow experiences. Yeah, there's no way you could argue that those things aren't important. Uh, but there was a study by Gartner, who uh, are management consultants who do a lot of deep research into customer, client drivers, uh, and, and organizational drivers. And what they found is that the biggest predictor of loyalty is not how good you make your clients feel. It's actually how easy you make it to do business with you as as a practice. And so what I've noticed, and I don't think a lot of the businesses I work with have looked at it from a research slash theoretical perspective, but because they've been such great adopters of technology and because they, yeah, a lot of them are digital natives, they've started a business at a time where yeah, <laughs> Zoom calls during COVID weren't an adjustment for them. They were doing it already. It was just doing more of what they were already doing. Uh, and so because technology implicitly removes friction, they've only ever looked at their businesses through this perspective of how else can we reduce friction. But they've really stumbled upon something there that drives a lot of, yeah, it drives conversion. Uh, it drives loyalty. It's such a big pre- yeah, predictor of the bottom line, uh, and that really is just about how easy you make it to do business with you. Yeah, let's let's hone in on the simplicity idea because I, I love it. Now, you mentioned easy to do business. I reckon there's probably some people listening to this podcast going, "Michael, you're insane." Um, do you realize how hard it's been to do business over the mm-hmm. last few years for financial advice businesses? Uh, how how do we? What do we say to them? What do we say to the people that are going, ah, oh, look, it's been, it's getting harder and harder and it's been harder. And I'm not, we're not talking about the, you know, the reviews in the future and how all that comes mm. out. But right now, uh, how can, how can these advisors go right? What can we do? Mm, great question. So uh, one of the first things I'd say is that there is a natural level of difficulty in our industry that we can't run away from. So I'm not here saying we can create the simple, uh, customer experience that Apple create on their website in a financial advice practice. Obviously, that's not possible. Um, But there are two things here because I think a lot of advice practices know that difficulty, but they're not a good, they're not doing a good job of communicating that to clients. So clients are expecting something simple and then it's a lot harder than they expect it to be. And then that's what causes the frustration. So while there is definitely a need for practices to constantly question how they can simplify everything and learn from other businesses and do a better job of that, I also think most the most simple thing that they have in their arsenal right now is just to make sure that they say to clients, look, this might take this long. Uh, or um, say to clients, look, yeah, we live, it, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of compliance. This stuff, you know, insurance underwriting being a great example, that this 
is often a long drawn out process, but we're here to make it as simple as possible. And so a client understands if something is going to take a long time, but don't assume that they know how long this stuff is going to take. So always being really clear in the expectations of how long things take is a really important one. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of advisors have their role and are, are good advisors because they do simplify the complex. So I guess they we're very good at simplifying the complex when it comes to the individual uh, items or products or strategies or mm. whatever it might be. But then um, simplifying the overall process is probably something that we haven't really tackled. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think part of that too is not necessarily how difficult it is to do business with us, but a big part of the the stress and the challenge and the frustration that we create isn't the physical demands we're placing on clients. It's the mental demands we're placing on clients. Uh, and so what does that mean? Well, that means anything you can do to reduce the length of an email or something that they've got to read or understand. Uh, I also know I'm preaching to the the, the guru of video SOAs here. So obviously that's something, Fraser, that you you believe all too all too much in. But I think we we are in the business of seeing complexity and sometimes we share too much of that complexity with clients. I think there are definitely types of clients. The ones that always get thrown at me when we're talking about this stuff are engineers and teachers tend to like a lot of detail. And I think it's really important that if someone is a more detailed person, you give them that detail. Uh, but don't assume everyone wants that level of detail. And I'd always recommend giving just enough detail and you'll know very quickly if a client wants more detail and in which case you should give it to them. But uh, in my experience, most clients don't really need to know the ins and outs all that much. They just want to know the bare essentials and the absolute facts they need to know, but that they trust their advisor to be across the detail. Yeah, you're exactly right on the uh, level of detail. I, l- I love the concept of just asking people, you know, how much more detail do you want mm-hmm. to, to be able to make a decision, which I guess is the whole idea of, you know, this the statement of advice process, giving them enough information to make an informed decision, not overly. Yeah. Uh, and and you're right. Uh, I just wanted to, to mention to the, I think you've, oh, you and I have spoken about this before, the, just the calories consumed by the clients when they have to go through that stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's um yeah, the the amount of uh, the amount of attention that we have from our clients in any communication is probably a lot lower than we would like to think. So, getting to the point quickly and capturing people's rapidly diminishing attention spans is super important. Um, but also, just uh, that there's a book that I absolutely love. I know it's been talked about a lot on the XY podcast called uh, "Building a Story Brand," and it's really about an effective way to communicate messages to clients and one of the uh what one of the phrases that they use in that book is if you confuse you lose and i think that's so so important when it comes to marketing messaging that if you're making people uh, consume calories go to too much effort uh etc etc they're just going to click away from your website and go do something that's a bit easier on their brain Uh, But it's just that delay in a marketing sense would stop a prospect coming to your business. But in a client experience sense, I mean, they're signed up, but what you're competing with is procrastination and delay. So if you need to get something from a client and you're making it too hard for them to do it, they're not going to ignore you or they're not going to leave. But what they're going to do is go, oh, just do that on the weekend. And then the weekend comes and their kids want to go out and do something they go oh don't have time to do that and they just keep kicking the can down the road and they're losing momentum and enthusiasm and all of a sudden they're not getting the client experience that they were hoping for and a lot of it's because they're not doing the things they need to do but that's where a business i think needs to look at all of the little parts of what 
the client experience means from the client's point of view and work out how they can simplify that. But the thing, you know, when you mentioned consuming calories, that, that the thing that my mind always goes to that a lot of practices don't think about is consuming calories mentally. So not just actually what you're asking them to do or to read or to digest or to understand, uh, but those moments of silence in a client experience where you go, where's that thing at? I haven't got an update on this in a while where people don't know where things are up to, that consumes a lot of calories and the worst type of calories because people are getting frustrated and annoyed. And it's almost those moments where we don't want them to do, we don't want them to think about this because they know where things are at, but they're being forced to stress and worry and get annoyed about the work we're doing together. So I think if I was to consider low-hanging fruit, you know, there's, there's technology that a business could bring in, but as we all know, finding the right technology is hard and then rolling it out and building it into your process and getting the team to use it. That's not actually low-hanging fruit, but you know, setting really good expectations at the start so clients aren't getting frustrated with how long things are taking, that would be number one. Number two would be never, ever let any period of silence exist in your client experience. So if you're in the middle of a process of underwriting, even if every week you're sending a client an update with the exact same information as last week, they know they haven't been forgotten. They know that you're still onto it. They know that things are still happening and and it just removes a lot of that noise in their head, which really you know creates a frustrating client experience. Yeah, it's, it's some really good points in there. I love that period of silence um, thing. Um, it, it's, you know, and you mentioned simple, small steps, and that's great. And you also covered off on the concept of motivation, just trying to find some form of motivation to keep them moving along that because mm-hmm. everybody's distracted. That period of, of silence, I think, is a really big issue for most businesses. I, I know mm-hmm. that I've felt it in the past. Yeah, and and I think we're trained to yeah, only want to communicate with the client when we've got good news. Uh, and I learned this when I worked in a call center is that, you know, no news is bad news when it comes to the client experience. So, yeah, I would have some people who were incredibly angry about something taking too long and I'd call them every single day to just tell them where it was at. And they, that they, uh, that those conversations day by day got less and less uh, angry and more and more friendly because they could tell that someone had their back and someone was committed. And most of the time, people understand that things take time or problems aren't as simple to resolve as they'd like them to be. But what people don't understand is being forgotten. Uh, and you know, we all have that that feeling of buyer's remorse, particularly when we spend a lot of money on something. And if you think of a financial advice practice you know we're not charging small fees we're charging thousands of dollars and it's a really big decision and unfortunately for us it's usually at that moment after a significant amount of money has changed hands that the client experience does get poorer because of all this uh, (laughs) red tape and paperwork and underwriting and all of these processes that are outside our hands so you've kind of got this perfect storm of money changing hands potential for buyer's remorse and then parts of the process that we can't control as much as we'd like to. So I, I think like most things, communication is the best way to, to weather that storm. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. It's um, some really good tips there. Um, now I wanted to make sure we covered off on this conversation, at least um, uh, other industries and not just financial advice industries and what you're seeing that are great experiences, maybe what you're seeing are bad experiences from from other professions, other industries, other other purchasing uh, that goes on. What, what are your thoughts around what you're seeing, what that are the good and the bad? Uh, yeah. So look, I think what, yeah, this has been one of the biggest changes that I'm seeing some advice businesses nail and others not. But uh, when you look at a, a purely digital 
purchasing process. So if you're buying uh, clothes online or, or you're buying something online, uh, often, yeah, so like Uber Eats would be a really good example. Uh, you, you get, you're getting notifications. You can see the progress of where things are at. It, it kind of feels like as soon as you've made that purchase, you're being cuddled by the Uber Eats app right until the point that you get what you want. And uh, I, I think the online, uh, the e-commerce industry have really nailed that experience of having technology deliver updates and email communication and and really just taking control of that whole journey and not just focusing on the most important bit being the food arriving at your door, but also just kind of empathizing with how someone's feeling before that and after that and meeting them where they're at. Uh, and I have seen a lot of financial advice businesses really nail that as well. So in the past, as an example, if someone was to come into your office, you know, the experience of arriving at your building getting in the elevator, being, gre- being greeted at the, the front desk by a smiley face, uh, sat in reception, being offered a coffee. All of those things make people feel good and it all becomes part of the client experience. Uh, often in a, in a digital world where we're having discovery meetings over Zoom, uh, unless we take control of the client experience and, and adopt more of that e-commerce thinking about where where's everyone at and how can we make sure that we are showing up uh, in the right way at the right time to make that purchase decision a no-brainer or to make sure that by the time the product arrives, they're, they're in a good headspace. I think a lot of advice businesses haven't thought about that and that to me is the next frontier, but there are a lot of businesses nailing it at the same time and I think there's a lot that we can learn from them. Yeah, I want to dive into this e-commerce thinking with you, but I'm just going to come back to this uh, word that you, and we will come back to it, you mentioned the word empathy and, and and understanding empathetically what the client's going through. So I want to come back to that, but let's go into this e-commerce thinking, this concept of, you know, what what's the experiences we're getting online um, and filling that void, as you mentioned, the, the, the feeling of being forgotten or the, the period of silence. Mm. What do you think that advisors can do in that space? I mean, obviously, um, I feel like it would be a good practical step for staff, teammates to understand where everybody's up to in a process as well as the clients. Mm, yeah, so that there's a couple of things there. The first is, and uh, anyone who's seen me present has heard me talk about this ad nauseum, so apologies if you've, if you've heard me discuss this, but uh, there was a really interesting study done in the States uh, at a car wash. And what they did, they, they got two groups of people and they gave them a, a loyalty card for this car wash. The first group were given a card and told if you get eight stamps, you get the ninth car wash for free. The second group uh, were given a, a card and it had 10, you get 10 stamps, you get the 11th car wash for free. But the difference was the first two car washes were pre-stamped. So if you look at those two cards, they're exactly the same thing. The person has to buy eight, sorry, seven car washes to get the next one for free. The only difference being that the first two stamps on the second card have been pre-stamped, so they'd already started the process. And the data at the end of that, so after three months, they, they saw how many people had completed their card. The group who had the two pre-stamped car wash, the, the, the two pre-stamped car washes on their card, twice as many of them ended up filling out the card as the first one. And the conclusion of the study, which is now called the Zygarnik effect, is that people have an innate dislike of loose ends. People people absolutely hate uh, this 
uh, concept of starting something but not finishing it. And it doesn't usually mean 100% of people are going to finish it, but you have a much greater chance of getting people to finish something that they've started. But if they don't start, they're a lot less likely to finish it. And so for a financial advice practice out there, anything you can do to make the first step in your process as simple as possible is worth fighting for and it's worth finding because once you get the person to take that first step, they're going to be a lot more likely to follow the next steps. The most simple solution for that, if you think about where most financial advisor uh, buying journey start, which is on the website, and this is where you see, you've seen see this a lot in e-commerce, is just to make that buying process super simple. Uh, we can't get someone to buy financial advice online for a range of reasons, but what you can do is to make that appointment booking process as simple as possible. So if you're sitting your appointment behind a contact us form where someone's got to put in their name and their email address and a message and then hit submit, they're not stamping that first that that first circle on their car wash card. They're going, uh, I'll do this later. I'm just a bit busy now. Uh, I, I can't be bothered. Uh, whereas if you can just do something like Calendly or an online booking software where someone can very simply find a suitable time, book in a 15-minute chat or a 30-minute chat, uh, yeah, an, an initial chat, just something super simple to get that first step happening, you're a lot more likely to get them to follow the rest of the process. Yeah, just if I dive a bit deeper into that. So I notice um, things like quizzes and, um, you know, like little optional extras at that moment too, uh, uh, like just to move them along a couple of steps of the process. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think the step of going, I'm on your website and I'm potentially interested uh, in becoming a client and, okay, I want to book in a meeting with you can be a big step for a lot of people. So for some people, they're ready for that step, in which case I say make it as simple as you can with some sort of online booking software. But yeah, there are people who that's still too big a step. And traditionally, most financial advice businesses have pretty much two options for getting closer to them. The first is contact our office and book an appointment. And the second one on the website is sign up for our newsletter, which I don't know about you, Fraser, but the idea of having another piece of regular email communication going into my inbox is pretty stressful. Uh, And so I think what I'm seeing with a lot of innovative practices and not just financial advice practices, uh, all types of businesses is, uh, and a course I did uh, a few years ago calls it the ascending transaction model, which is to really break down that step of going, I'm not a client to I'm booking an appointment and building some smaller steps in there, which could be a diagnostic quiz, which could be uh, download our three-part video series on blah, blah, blah. Just some sort of small, meaningful step where you might be capturing their email address, which then gives you the opportunity to nurture them as a lead, but they're getting something valuable out of it. And you know, they're, they're, they're tasting, they're, they're getting a little taste test of what it's like to work with you and understanding how you think and feel. And they're getting to know you a little bit better in a safe environment before they make that commitment to book an appointment. Yeah, I think, uh, and obviously with a lot of practices, a, a part of that is not so much the testimonial, but the understanding of how how you work with clients, how mm. you go through that process, the, what, what the outcome is likely to be for a lot of the clients that come through that process, that, those sort of questions that are in their head. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I just see a lot of throwing the baby out with the bathwater thinking here. So yeah, as an example, someone like a Ben Nash, if you wanted to get a little bit closer to Ben without having to book an appointment and become, you know, to, to go in for a meeting with Pivot, you can listen to his podcast. You can download one of dozens of eBooks. You can go onto YouTube or TikTok or any of these social media platforms or watch it. Like there are so many options. You can go to one of his online events. Like literally 
that that there are so many options it's unbelievable with someone like pivot and i see businesses go oh well i can't do all of that so i'm going to do nothing so yeah that's the flawed thinking is really you don't have to be everywhere yeah you know, there's you don't have to be on every platform and have a multitude of options necessarily if you just had one or even two very small meaningful steps that you were excited about creating and it really reflects who you are and what you're all about and yeah the most important thing uh, at this stage of the buying journey is for people to go, I've arrived at the right place. Uh, particularly something like financial advice, like it's it's not commoditized. And a lot of the time people know they need to, inverted commas, sort their money stuff out, but they don't actually really know what financial advice is and whether they need it. And so I'd say more so than other industries, uh, because we're not selling a commodity or something that people have necessarily bought before, we need to make sure that they understand what financial advice is and what we do and who we help and how we help them. And yeah, the easiest way I can think to do that would be a great video on your website, which addresses those points. Something that's quite powerful, which I've seen play out in a bunch of different industries is this concept of talking about the problems. So before you even go into here's our solutions, here's our services, here's what it costs. If you can perfectly describe the problems that your ideal client is experiencing. Uh, they get this sense of, oh my gosh, you're literally reading my mind. You're speaking my language. Uh, you've described these problems that I currently feel even better than I can describe them. If you can describe the problems with such clarity, I assume that you have the solution. So you don't even need to pitch there. And I, I think if you think about that buying journey from, hey, there's a website, here's our services, book an appointment, that little baby step there around empathizing with the person and going, here's, here's the type of people that we work with and here's the type of problems we can help them solve. That, that can go a really, really long way to, to building that trust and getting them a bit more comfortable with that idea of booking an appointment. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love that concept of talking about the appointments. And you mentioned the story brand uh, earlier on, which is great. If, um, you know, a great resource to go to and, and, and working out how you are going to talk about and work out what those problems are um, to get that to that concept of, as you mentioned, you feel like you've arrived in the right place. And I think that's really important. Just not sure who this Ben Nash bloke is you speak <laughs> of. Um, no, never heard of him. Maybe somebody can introduce me one day. <laughs> I, well, just going back to what you said, though, about you know, making people feel like they arrived at the right place. Uh, it's just important, just as important to make sure that people who your firm isn't suited to realize that they've arrived at the wrong place. So the messaging and the frictionless really do go hand in hand because you can create the most frictionless process for booking appointments into your diary. And I mean, some of the listeners might have already preempted this is that part of the problem with making it really easy to book an appointment is people start booking appointments and all of a sudden, and, and I've seen this happen that yeah, a practice that I work with uh, that they did a, did a really good job of getting Google reviews, boosting their SEO, changing their website. And they were getting a hundred inquiries a month, uh, which before, you know, you get too excited about that, about 80 to 85 of them were terrible opportunities and they weren't the type of people. And so it, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all solution. And, yeah, even tools like Calendly now are starting to have better processes around filtering people. So you don't just give them the diary straight away. You ask them a few qualifying questions. And there's some interesting stuff happening there because this is the problem with making it too easy to book an appointment. But back to my original point, if you get the messaging piece right and make people who might be in that 85 who aren't quite suitable, if you could get half of them to go, oh, actually, this doesn't sound like the place for me, 
um, you can save yourself a lot of time and, and save, you know, save, save a lot of time and energy for both the prospective client and, and the people in your team as well. So it isn't just a case of make it as simple as possible. It's got to be counterbalanced by getting the messaging right as well. Yeah, really good point. Know, uh, know, know your client, know your future clients, know your prospects, know, yeah. uh, know who you best serve. So I think that's probably a different piece of work outside of what we're talking about, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a pre piece of work to be done. Um, now I wanted to ask you a little bit about the concept that if you and I were starting in advice practice, uh, together, uh, and, and considering neither of us are licensed financial advisors, that would be a bit difficult. But, um, if, if we were to do that and we were to work with some advisors, what, what are the big blocks we put in place first? What what are the must-haves? What are the uh, things that we need to make sure we have in place? I think, yeah, going back to this concept of don't try and wow, don't try and build all the bells and whistles in, uh, make life easier. Uh, I think in the, in the same spirit of that idea, I think a lot of the time people start getting annoyed with a client experience when they're not getting what they originally signed up for. And so I do see a lot of businesses potentially in the early stages. And, you know, it's that idea of getting more excited about your logo and your letterhead and your business card than actually doing the hard work of building the business. Uh, there is something quite exciting about launching a business, but I do see people when they start out get excited about, you know, what are we going to do on clients' birthdays and how are we going to, you know, make th- what we do in- inherently shareable on social media and they're not putting enough effort into just the meat and three veg components of the client experience. So for me, I think you've got to make sure that you have the production line of advice absolutely nailed. So things like your discovery meeting, uh, obviously your uh, <laughs> SOA process, uh, your um, yeah, advice implementation process, your review process. Uh, you could probably buy a little bit of time with the review process, I think, because uh, yeah, often when you're in a startup business, it's it's like the guitar teacher who's one lesson ahead of the students. Uh, I think getting that initial onboarding would probably be more important than the the ongoing client experience. But uh, you need to at least have a clear enough idea of what that is so you can explain it to your clients. One thing I would say I see a a lot of that. There's probably two main mistakes that I see people make when they're starting out an advice practice. The first is getting too obsessed with the experience and not enough on the marketing side. And don't get me wrong, I've seen businesses go too far the other way too where they're great at selling the dream but they can't back it up on the client experience. And we all know businesses in a range of industries like that who have too much style and not enough substance. So I think it's really important to make sure you've got the substance. But I see people spend way too much time and money investing in here's the service and here's every element of it. And they just haven't put enough clients through the experience in order to learn. Uh, It doesn't matter how much of a genius you are as an entrepreneur and how many incredible people you have in your team. I promise you 80% of what you'll learn about your client experience can only be taught to you from your clients. So getting a bare bones ability to deliver advice in the first place is super important. Uh, but I think pretty quickly, I would recommend your attention turn to the marketing piece because getting clients into the system and bringing money into the business that can then in, be reinvested into technology and people and all of these really important levers of the client experience is much more important than getting it right from the start. So many businesses, and I'm sure many of them have spoken about this on the podcast, uh, just think that they know everything at the start and and they realize how little they knew and that's completely fine uh, but I just wouldn't be putting too much effort into things that uh, are hypotheses rather than 
facts and they feel like facts at the start. So uh, the bet, the best, the best expert at that point in the business journey is the client going through the experience. Yeah, lots of lots of really interesting points here. I think effort's a really good word to to demonstrate here because there is obviously a focus around what do you prioritize as your effort and to be able to have that balance between marketing and actually and when we talk about the experience, but delivering the experience to making sure it actually happens to every single client. Yeah, that, that for sure. And yeah, this is probably the second mistake I see is that I think a lot of the time people have been stuck in their own little paradigm. And so when they go to start a business, they think that the way that they're going to be do it, doing it or their particular version of financial advice is quite unique. And I'd say people in the XY community probably feel less this way because they are more exposed to the ideas of the people around them. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think it, I don't want to make this too black and white. But if you had if you had an option, and for a typical person starting a business who wants to do it in their own way. I think you've got to respect the fact that you only have so much energy and attention and effort. And the more you're trying to put your own unique stamp on everything, it's taking your effort away from things that potentially need more of it. And so if I think of something like marketing and sales, a lot of that uh, in the early stages will require energy from, from the people or the team starting the business. Things like power planning, can be outsourced, so you should. So anything at the start that you can outsource, I would recommend outsourcing. Uh, just because anything that you outsource, it, it, it yeah, if you can outsource to the right person, it retains that precious energy for you to deploy to something that is harder to outsource or shouldn't be outsourced. But then I also would extend that a little bit further. So you have uh, things like Lumiant that can essentially run most of your client engagement process, bring a technology layer to it and help you have those conversations. If it's going to take you weeks or months to come up with your methodology for running a really great discovery meeting in a way that could be trainable to others, you might want to start with a tool like that to just get things off the ground, to get a, a, a really, really excellent client experience off the ground. And then over time, add your own little touches to it uh, because yeah, there are people like Lumia, there are people like Jim Stackpool who have processes and ways of doing things that absolutely work. And I think, yeah, it's probably similar to the first point a lot of ways is that um, thinking that, you know, you know all the answers and that the way that you want to do it is better than the other way isn't always the case. And I think if you can just start with something that is fantastic and then evolve it over time, it's probably the best use of your energy and it's probably probably the way to make the business more profitable from the start so you can then start making intelligent decisions to reinvest into the business. I, I resonate with what you're saying there, doing something well and then uh, looking at expanding on the amount of things you want to do. I'm, 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 I'm often to blame with trying to do, to do everything and wanting to do everything and then wanting to do it now. So um, I'm probably one of those folks that uh, needs to be dragged back into line and say, hey, let's just do this one thing and do it properly. Um, now, that's that's very easy, I guess, for uh, you know us to say, let's start from from scratch and and you know it's easy to say we can start from scratch and build this amazing thing um it's very difficult to build a business or to build all these things from scratch if there's no income coming in so a lot of people already have existing businesses and for those that are already in existing businesses what sort of ideas and tips and thoughts do you you, do you put out to those people from where they can start what are the quick wins sort of thing yeah look i think the quick wings for me are anything that is adding too much effort to your client experience you just need to find ways to reduce that effort one thing that I would say is a real untapped resource when it comes to ideas to simplify the client experience or to even just improve it in whatever 
you describe well, whatever you want to define improving it is uh, as the, the most untapped resource I see in businesses is the team. Because if you think about a typical advisor or vice practice client relationship, most of the value is delivered by the advisors. Uh, but most of the client experience is actually delivered by the rest of the team. And they are part of the processes that are sometimes making clients happy and other, at other times are frustrating clients. And the businesses who are absolutely nailing the client experience piece are the ones who have a, a constant conversation happening with their team around where 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 is our client experience not good enough? Uh, where can we be making things better? Where can we be making them simpler? And okay, cool. Well, we've identified that. So what are we going to do? Who's responsible? And I think as a as a principal in an advisor business, or even just just as a leader in an advice business, it can be really easy to just think that you have to solve everything, but it's probably a lot harder for you to see the problems with the same clarity that others in your team do. And there's a lot to be said for uh, bringing your team in on these conversations and then helping them be part of the solution as well. It gives them new skills. It breaks up their day. uh, It creates new experiences, which are great for their career, but it also means that as a business, you can just achieve more as well. Uh, And so for the smaller businesses out there who don't necessarily have people who are solely responsible for the client experience, I think dividing and conquering is super important. But before that, even just getting your team to decide where to start when it comes to improving the client experience and letting them brainstorm solutions. Uh, And you might want to have some involvement in those or, or be, you know, be a participant in those conversations, but not feeling like you have to do it all. Uh, is 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 a really big step forward, and you'll probably be very surprised once you start bringing your team to these conversations. The types of ideas that emerge. Going back to what you said before, Fraser, about what's happening in other industries. I've run workshops with advice practices in the past, and one of the questions that we get the whole team to answer is, you know, what was a recent customer or client experience that you had in another business that really you know made you happy, or made your life easier, or blew you away. And then really boiling down the principle that sits behind that and then asking the question, okay, well, that blew you away when you brought, bought that dress from Gorman. So how can we now bring that similar thinking into our business and create that same experience? And so what I mean is that you don't need to be an expert on the client experience or, or you know, that you don't need to be a, a guru or have any experience in this stuff. We already have the experience because we are on the receiving end of them a lot of the time. And so taking those wonderful client experiences we're having day to day and just bringing that thinking into what we're doing in advice practices is, is a fantastic starting point. And yeah, everyone in your team is responsible, is capable of doing that if they're just pointed in that direction. It's really interesting you say that because I, I was going to, ju- I was just about to ask you, or well, the next question was going to be about that concept of do you survey your clients and, you know, how do you get that information out? And you kind of answered it like we're all consumers in some way. We all go through these experiences. We all, um, you know, go to uh, other professionals, whether the, the doctor or accountant or whatever it might be. We all understand their processes that work, but we also go and get haircuts and buy clothes and, you know, um, you know, go get our eyes tested and get glasses, all these sort of things. We mm. all, we're all humans that go through a, a, a user experience or journey as, as customers in some way. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I, I always think, you know, your first, first, yeah, don't, don't try and improve the client experience without asking the clients, right? So surveying clients, absolutely essential. Uh, but then don't try and improve the client experience without engaging the people who are delivering most of it, the team. So I think you get that intel from your clients 
Uh, one mistake I see businesses make here though is that they try and ask clients to what the solution should be. That's not what clients are good at. They're really good at identifying the problems, but your team are in a much better position to identify the solutions. Um, so don't expect clients to to, to, to design these uh, solutions or improvements, but get that information into the discussion because it's so valuable. Work out, yeah, I think this is going back to what we were saying before about starting a business. Don't be... Uh, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, try and be an inch wide and a mile deep and narrow your focus. And, you know, when it comes to your team, uh, you know, but really just identifying, okay, what part of the client experience are we going to focus on? And this isn't the only time we're going to be doing this, you know, we're going to, this is an ongoing practice that we're going to be having in our business. So let's just start somewhere, execute that really well, improve our client experience just that little bit, and then rinse and repeat and move on to the next one. Yeah, you mentioned rinse and repeat. Obviously, this is the sort of thing that you want uh, constant. You want to put the time and effort and budget aside for constant, um, constant improvement. Yeah. Oh well, uh, absolutely. Because yeah, firstly, particularly for those starting out in business, it's it's this constant battle between what's not good enough and what's good enough. So there's always going to be something you need to improve. But uh, as technology evolves, as uh, legislation changes as all types of changes external to the business happen. It it really changes the goalposts for what a great client experience could be or should be. And so, from that point of view, it, there is no set and forget. And I think businesses who look at the client experiences, all right, we're going to focus on this for six months and then move on with our lives. Uh, it's not that type of a project. Uh, it, it, this is something that needs to become part of, of business as usual. Uh, as your business grows and you have a more corporatized structure, uh, that's going to mean you're going to have someone in your business who's pretty much their sole focus is do, what, what the client experience looks like. But between now and then, when you don't have that person, yeah, bring the team in to have that discussion. But uh, there, there's really no way that this won't be part of your business as usual in the future because this is what you're selling. This is, you know, this is this is your product and service design, or this is your research and development. This is your that this is your uh, your, your incubator for taking your business forward. Yeah, I'd, I'd go so much to say this needs to be part of your BAU, right? Mm. Your business as usual. Yeah, it really does. Now, obviously, with uh, we're recording this before the quality of advice review hands down its official findings, but um, the the concept around that obviously then comes up where we need to, to to look at that again and and work out what that experience is going to be. I really love the the concept that you mentioned though. If, if you just maintain that simplicity layer across everything, and, and maybe just would you suggest people start with their existing process and just go through it and say how do we how do we simplify all these things yeah for sure so so you have that benefit when you're starting a business of having a blank piece of paper and being able to design things uh that can also be crippling too because you have too much choice but for an existing business that's running i think that that concept of kaizen that continual and ongoing improvement and taking what you're doing now and just iterating it and, and changing it uh gradually it it, it can feel a bit boring. It doesn't have that same bright, shiny, we're just revolutionizing the way we do things feel. But uh, very, very few businesses have the bandwidth to continually revolutionize what they're doing. And I think a lot of the hard work, but a lot of the reward is for businesses who are more patient and consistent and just chip away at things over time. And, and you know, there's going to be bigger steps forward in their client experience. It's not always going to be this small, gradual improvement, but uh, you can spend a lot of time trying to Think of this revolutionary way of doing things and 18 months later, nothing's changed, uh, which is 18 months where you could have been making small, meaningful 
iterations to what you're doing that take it to that same place, but get there in a much more sustainable way where you're not exploding your team and you're also not uh, you know, pouring, pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into it as well. So I think from a practical point of view, I always recommend uh, constant ongoing improvement and uh, yeah, bringing the right people into the room, having the right conversations, asking them the right questions and making sure there's some really strong accountability for them to follow through on not just having a great meeting and then nothing changes, but making sure there's follow through after that. Yeah, you mentioned uh, I, I, I shuddered when you said that 18 months, nothing's changed, uh, Pete, because I think that a lot of businesses have been wanting to do or thinking about doing stuff for a long time and never really, you know, 18 months later that nothing's changed. Mm. Um, t- talk to us about that, actually finding the time, you know, creating a structure in place where you go, great, let's actually find the time to put something in place and how are we going to do that and then and then actually going about and doing it? Yeah, so I think – that, that the most useful model that I have for, for this is something that my dad used to ram down my throat when I was a kid called the success triangle. So he was a management consultant and uh, he always used to use this on me uh, when uh, I wasn't achieving something I wanted to or if I was frustrated because I wasn't good at something. Um, he'd always bust out the success triangle as a way to, to get me to uh, focus on the bits of this that I could control. So that the principle of the success triangle is in order to achieve anything, you need three things. You need to be clear, you need to be capable, and you need to be motivated. So clear, you've got to know what you're trying to achieve. Capable, you've got to be able to achieve it. Motivated, you've got to want to achieve it. So if we're thinking here about a team of people trying to make some changes in a business, I think the first step for me is the motivation piece. So if you are a practice principal, and you go to a conference and you come back with some great idea and say to your team, all right, guys, I've heard this great idea. We're going to be using this software from now on or we're going to be doing this. There's almost no motivation for the team because they haven't participated in that. They haven't given input into that. They don't understand why they're doing it. And so you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think inherently, if you have the right people in the conversation and collectively come up. And I'm not saying you have to have the whole team involved, but as long as you've got multiple perspectives who are going to be responsible for implementing it, who are contributing to that, you've ticked the motivation box. Uh, Going back to that concept of being spread too thinly, I think if you have 20 things on the go, you can put a big cross through the clarity piece and the capability piece. So to be super clear on this is exactly what we're trying to achieve uh, is this is in many ways, I'd say the hidden uh, the, the hidden dimension of a team achieving something significant is just the level of clarity to which people know exactly what's expected by when and who's going to be responsible. And the clearer you can make the, the, the how and the what when it comes to any project that you want to implement, the better. The capability piece is often where a lot of businesses come undone and capability has a, a bunch of components. There's knowledge, uh, there's experience, there's skills, there's all of that aspect of capability. Uh, But I think time is the one that brings a lot of businesses undone. And that's a big question. And I know, Fraser, you and I spoke about this in a previous podcast episode just around um, how to find time and how to make time for things. But um, there's no real one-size-fits-all when it comes to this. But uh, in my experience, this type of stuff feels a lot bigger to people when they're not doing it. And then when they get stuck into it, they actually realize you can achieve a lot more in a short amount of time than you expected. Um, Part of that is because something feels big and ugly and hard to achieve because it's unclear. So the clearer you make something, 
the less time people realize it's going to take because they understand exactly what they're doing. It's not this big, vague, nebulous idea that 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 kind of hurts their brain a little bit. But I also think that that the paradigm shift that that creates time for this stuff is that the the emails, the client work, the the stuff that we all know we're going to go into work as, say, an administrator or a power planner or someone in the back office, even an advisor, all of that stuff is known and it's a lot more motivating because we know we can do it. But this other stuff can kind of intimidate us a bit because we haven't done it before. But the paradigm shift that businesses need is that this stuff is more important than the client stuff because it's going to make life better for all our clients in the future. And so some businesses, it's about carving time aside in the diary and saying, all right, as a business, we're all focusing on on the business stuff rather than in the business stuff. Uh, if that type of week-to-week or fortnight-to-fortnight consistency is hard, even just having a day every quarter where you get together and have these conversations and even spend half of that day just working on implementing things just to get, you know, going back to the Zygarnik effect, getting that project started so people are more likely to want to finish it. Uh, but I think a lot of the time, once we get into the habit and the rhythm of doing this, it feels a lot harder, but those initial stages are so important. Uh, whether that's a business who hasn't done this before and they're doing it now or just a particular project that needs that burst of energy at the start. But uh, I think you you can tell a lot about what's important to someone by the way they spend their time and it's the same as a business. If you're saying to your team, all of this stuff is super important uh, but you're not making the time or setting the time aside or booking out a a conference room off-site once a quarter to be working on this stuff, you're not really backing up how important it is through your actions. So whatever you need to do to help your team create the time, whether it's a regular period of time in the business where you're talking about this or these big pillars of time where you're talking about this stuff, it needs to be in there to to signal its importance because this stuff is so important. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And thank you thank you to to your dad for the success triangle and rubbing it down your throat because you've, you've <laughs> nailed it. You had that one uh, from, from childhood. Um, the, I got yeah, triggered. You're, abs- you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right uh, on, the, on, the, on taking the time and setting the time aside and putting it in the diary and making sure everybody's involved and everybody comes along on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, everybody coming along on the journey, uh, Michael, do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about how you work with firms to, you know, throughout those appointments and how you work with firms to be able to help them get through the success? triangle or whatever it is that you're using to to make things actually happen in a business yeah so we're business coaches at human to human uh, we work really closely with businesses in a range of ways so uh, a lot of our work is around uh, facilitating environments for discussions like this uh, we do a lot of work at offsites we help with business planning so we can help create some of this uh, inverted commas human to human contact which is going to give important priorities in your business, the momentum they need. Uh, but the bread and butter of our work is is we work really closely with businesses on an ongoing basis to, to set strategic plans and then make sure that they're implemented. Uh, and a lot of those have to do with uh, making sure that the client experience is exactly where it should be. Uh, but for everyone listening to this episode, what I'd actually suggest as a starting point, so here we go, sending transaction model, uh, is I created a website. So if you go to humantohuman.com.au forward slash make business easier, uh, I've got a toolkit there which uh, literally is designed for advice businesses who want to simplify their client experience. Uh, so there's a bunch of things that you're going to get in that. There's a, a copy of our survey questions. There's also a 
uh, an agenda and a, and a process for running a workshop with your team, which is designed to really hone in on, okay, guys, let's simplify our client experience. What does that look like and create that momentum to make some meaningful change and spread the responsibility for that across the team. So if you want to have a crack yourself at doing this and to make life easier for your clients and bring your team on that journey, going to human2human.com.au forward slash make business easier and downloading those tools is going to be a really good start. Total transparency. A lot of businesses give out tools like this because they want you to you know, pay to become a, a client. Uh, I've actually had a bunch of businesses who have downloaded those tools and got huge outcomes without me even being involved in the business. So this stuff does work and I've designed the tools so they're actually going to be implementable and uh, are going to give you value without you needing to pay a dollar for them. So I hope they're useful. But yeah, if you want to download some resources to help with this stuff, uh, I reckon that'd be a good starting point. Fantastic. And if you want someone to help you out, then uh, then reach out. Uh, if someone wants to reach out, what's the best way? Is that through that same website? Yeah, go to humor2humor.com.au and get in touch. Uh, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and love expanding my network. So yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and we can stay in touch. Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much for coming and sharing your gold nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure, Fraser. Thanks for having me. 